The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC. Here is your top five at five. Going for two, stocks looking to add to yesterday's gains after the Nasdaq snapped a three-session losing streak. Sticking with diplomacy, President Biden drawing a hard line on Russian aggression near Ukraine as Moscow continues to push its own version of the facts. Former Energy Secretary Rick Perry is here with his take. Call it mixed metaverse messaging as investors grow cautious on the digital frontier. That's sending shares of one stock sinking. On hold, President Biden's hopes for remaking the Federal Reserve in limbo as Republicans block his latest slate of nominations. And Disney is doing something for the first time at its theme park since the start of the pandemic that could impact attendance. It's Wednesday, February 16th, 2022, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. I am Courtney Reagan in this morning for Brian Sullivan. Well, let's kick off your Wednesday morning with a check on U.S. stock features. See where things stand here several hours before the opening bell sounds. You can see that the futures are slightly lower for the three major averages. The Dow down just about eight points, S&P 500 off and the Nasdaq down just about 13 or so. The Dow, the S&P, the Nasdaq, the Russell 2000, they all snapped three-day losing streaks yesterday. The Dow surging some 400 points or more than 1.2%. The Nasdaq seeing a more than 2.5% gain. And let's get a check in on the Treasury market. This one, of course, key to watch right now. The 30-year yield is trading its highest level since May of 2021. It is sitting at 2.347%. The 10-year yield still holding above 2%, 2.038%. And, of course, we're watching the short end of the Treasury market. The yield on the two-year, 1.56%, and the five-year under 2 but at 1.93, so getting ever closer. Checking in on oil prices, it's trading below seven-year highs, coming off its worst single-day performance since December. And you can see your WTI is below 90 a barrel, but higher by six-tenths of a percent or so. And Brent crude is at almost $94, higher also by about six-tenths to seven-tenths of a percent. On natural gas, you can see there surging more than 4%, almost 5%, with the spot rate on the futures at 4.505%. Let's take a look at what's going on in the crypto market. We saw some pretty big movements here yesterday and so far this morning. Bitcoin is a little bit lower around the $44,000 mark. Ether is higher by about six-tenths of a percent. And uh, you can see the XRP here, Cardano, those are also mixed here with the XRP down about six-tenths of a percent and Cardano up just about three-tenths of a percent. Let's get you a check on early trading overseas and a worrying new read on inflation. Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom. Good morning, Rosanna. 
Good morning, Courtney. And yeah, it's that worrying read on inflation here in the UK that has sent the FTSE 100 well below the flat line in just about the last five minutes. It has been sort of slightly above that throughout the morning, now down by around a quarter of a percent. UK inflation data for January hitting a near 30 year high. Now, we were expecting this. Of course, it will put pressure on the Bank of England at the next minute, uh, next meeting about rate hikes. You've just seen the cat Cajon just uh, going below the flat line as well. And broadly here in Europe, it's a mixed picture because Europe markets are taking a moment to digest and reflect on some of the information we've had about the Ukraine crisis in the last 24 hours. A lot of verification needed for a lot of claims from all sides at the moment. We've had a lot of news lines out of NATO this morning and the Kremlin. So the markets have been moving in a pretty mixed fashion. Let's give you a look at the sectors though and how they're shaping up because a lot of this is about Ukraine. You can see that absolutely even divide between positive and negative. Oil and gas, no surprises there, around a percent higher given that we have seen oil prices recoup some of their losses in the last sort of 12 hours or so. Uh, banks down pretty negative. Again, we are awaiting those US Fed minutes later today and the UK economic data no doubt weighing heavy as well, Courtney. Rosanna for an early look at what's going on in Europe. To our top story this morning and the crisis between Russia and Ukraine yesterday, President Biden taking a hard line with Russia's Vladimir Putin while remaining committed to exploring diplomatic avenues towards de-escalation. Escalation. If Russia does invade in the days and weeks ahead, the human cost for Ukraine will be immense. And the strategic cost for Russia will also be immense. If Russia attacks Ukraine, it'll be met with overwhelming international condemnation. The world will not forget that Russia chose needless death and destruction. Biden's comments come ahead of a joint meeting of NATO's defense ministers in Brussels today, assessing the situation on the Ukrainian border. Our Sylvia Armano is live on the ground in Brussels. Sylvia, good morning. Good morning, Courtney. And you were monitoring this meeting of NATO defense ministers. And of course, the big focus is understanding whether Russia is actually withdrawing some of its troops close to the Ukrainian border. Here's the latest assessment from NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. So far, we have not seen any de-escalation on the ground. On the contrary, uh, it appears that Russia continues the military build-up. So Jens Stoltenberg there saying that there's no evidence of a de-escalation at the moment. In fact, Courtney, NATO has said that in the past they have seen Russia decreasing the number of military troops, but then leaving behind some equipment and then later on returning these troops to these positions. So there's a concern here in Brussels as to whether that's actually the case once again. So the feeling, though, is that uh, of a cautious optimism as NATO has described, not because they believe that there is indeed a de-escalation uh, at the moment, but because Russia has not closed the door to further conversations, and that is indeed keeping some optimism within NATO. Sylvia, thank you very much. As we've said on this show before, President Vladimir Putin's play on Ukraine can be traced back to European Energy Secretary and Russia's need to get its Nord Stream 2 pipeline approved. With that, our Brian Sullivan sat down with former Energy Secretary Rick Perry, asking him in his global view, how does he see the situation unfolding? 
I don't suspect that they're going to invade. And I, I, I look at this from two reasons. Number one, we need to be prepared in case he did. But the Russian economy is smaller than the, the, the economy of the state of Texas. So from a economic standpoint, yeah. uh, Russia to invade Ukraine would be a tremendously negative impact on that economy. Uh, with that said, you know, we, we can't take any chances. We should never have allowed it to get to this point. We had Russia over a barrel, so to speak, not unlike the barrel we had Iran over. Yep. But uh, bad policies have been made by this Biden administration. The American people are paying uh, a tremendous price for it, not only economically uh, from the standpoint of inflation, the cost of fuel, the cost of our, our transportation, the cost of all of our uh, uh, goods out there going up because of their bad energy policy. Uh, but it's also putting America at risk from a national security standpoint. It isn't the, the, the worst policies, though. How do we get here in Europe? I mean, this is taking years or decades of shutting down other power sources to become super reliant on Russian natural gas. The Nord Stream 2, you mentioned it is built. It just needs regulatory approval. In your mind, Mr. Secretary, is part of this gamesmanship, uh, Putin trying to make the pipelines and Ukraine look unstable to make his newer shinier, and by the way, doesn't have to pay a billion in tolls to Ukraine every year, that pipeline look more stable? In other words, is he almost trying to solve a problem that he himself is creating? Yeah, listen, you got to give Putin credit. This guy understands how to play poker. Uh, but he also understands that the bad policy decisions in the European Union, for instance, shutting down the fossil fuel plants uh, in exchange for renewables, a, a certain amount of your portfolio being in re renewables makes sense. But when you take the step that the Europeans did and almost exclusively go towards renewable, when the wind quits blowing, you got problems. And that's exactly what Putin saw that. And he's kind of like, oh, yeah, y'all go for it. Get, get you some more of that wind energy out there. Nothing wrong with wind energy per se. Uh, my home state's the number one wind energy producing state in the nation. But you need to have a thoughtful mix. You can't uh, yeah. depend completely upon wind energy. Europe is paying a massive price now. Putin is the guy who's winning at this poker match. Does ultimately the Nord Stream 2 get approved? Is, is Germany, to, to use your language, over that barrel? I mean, ultimately, are they going to have to approve it? I don't know. I'm, I'm not plugged in at this particular point in time in my life uh, to the levels of I was when I was the Secretary of Energy. I know that the, the Germans need to be rethinking this position now seeing what they're seeing uh, on the Ukrainian border, knowing what they know about how Putin plays this game. Listen, Putin's not going away. He's going to be here for a long time. Uh, he is he's discussing with the Chinese now how to strengthen that relationship. And if there was ever a time for the United States to lean into uh, this whole European yeah. energy situation, it is right now deliver that liquefied natural gas to Poland as often as you can. Make, in fact, you may have seen yesterday, New Scale, the small reactor company, yep. uh, it signed a, an agreement with Poland to uh, move their uh, nuclear energy program forward. That's wise politics. The Poles get it. They understand what living under a, uh, in that case, Soviet regime was all about and not giving those individuals who 
put them in that particular position some years ago ever get back into power again. Ultimately, then, what do you think this means long term for LNG, liquefied natural gas? You got Venture Global signing deals for Europe, not for China, but for Europe. Is that going to be a massive growth market for U.S. companies? Absolutely. I think the the continual message to the European Union that you can be uh, estranged, if you will, from uh, the the Russian oligarchs and from Putin with American LNG. Uh, we can deliver it. Uh, we're sustainable. Uh, we're going to be stable. And to give Europe the clear understanding uh, that they can't be held hostage by anyone, American liquefied natural gas brought into the Baltics, transferred north and south through Poland down into the rest of the European Union. Uh, that's yeah. the right move for Europe. Our thanks to Brian Sullivan and former Energy Secretary Rick Perry for that interesting discussion. Let's get to some of the morning's other top stories. Silvana Hanau is here. Silvana, good morning to you. Hey, Courtney. Good morning. Well, shares of SeaWorld and Cedar Fair are falling in the pre-market. This after SeaWorld said its bid for the theme park company was rejected. Cedar Fair saying it had received an unsolicited takeover offer from SeaWorld earlier this month. The deal would have combined two theme park businesses hit hard by the pandemic for what would have been a $3.4 billion deal, according to the Wall Street Journal. A judge at the FTC dismissing an antitrust complaint against cigarette maker Altria Group and e-cigarette maker Juul. The complaint was filed back in 2020 and claimed that Altria's decision to buy a 35% stake in Juul was anti-competitive. Altria has written down more than 85% of that investment in Juul. And Meta employees have a new name to go with the new company branding. CEO Mark Zuckerberg saying in a Facebook post, employees will now be known as MetaMates. Zuckerberg saying the term is a reference to the naval adage about shipmates that is already often used at Instagram and the sense of responsibility that MetaMates should have for the collective good of the company. Meta's recent earnings showing that spending on virtual reality this year will dent operating profit for the company by about $10 million, Courtney. Thank you very much, Solana Meta Meets. That's a yep. <laughs> well, when we come back, stocks looking to extend yesterday's gains, where Pivotal's Tiffany McGee sees opportunity for investors. Plus, a mega miss in the metaverse that's sending shares of this stock sinking. What is it? You'll have to stay tuned to find out. And later, a worldwide exclusive with the CEO of OnSemi. Why he says the global chip crunch is here to stay until at least 2023. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. 
Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back and back to the markets and more of Brian Sullivan's conversations at the Tiger 21 conference. Brian's sitting down with Tiger 21's founder and chairman, Michael Sonnenfeld, getting his read on the markets and the volatility that's marked the start of 2022. We still are 75 percent allocated to risk on assets. What's changed in the last quarter is the public markets have come up to 26 percent. And part of the reason is we had a lot of liquidations from all the private equity holdings last year, particularly some of the VC holdings. Typically, our public equity is around 22 percent and real estate is king. For the first time, they're now tracking uh, one another. For more, let's bring in Alan McKnight, Chief Investment Officer at Regions Wealth Management. Alan, thank you so much for joining us here this morning. We mentioned the volatility that's sort of been part of the hallmark of early 2022 for the markets. How do you feel the market sentiment is right now as investors are trying to balance between what's going on with the Fed and what's going on with the geopolitical tensions, particularly this week? We think the markets are incredibly resilient right now. And we think much of that is based upon the sentiment coming out of earnings season, the calls that are going on. And despite some of the information and reports coming out on inflation, producer price inflation yesterday, which is still running hot, consumer price inflation running hot, we heard last week, companies are still communicating that they're able to pass along these price increases to their customers. So we think even though we've seen a decline this year, S&P down about 6.5%, um, and certainly the growth indices down even more, we think there's still an underlying theme of overall optimism if we can get through uh, some of these more challenging times right now as it relates to monetary policy um, and the inflation front. What feels appropriate for you when considering Fed policy? It seems as if the market could be bracing for anywhere between four and seven hikes when it comes to interest rates in the near future over the next year or so. What do you think is appropriate to help tame inflation? We think they're on the right path. And we think that this more marked and slow process has, is working. And yet they're in a very delicate balance right now in terms of going too far too fast. And I think that's really where the market starts to get a bit of heartburn around what the next amount will be. We are confident there will continue to be increases over the course of the year, but really not going too fast. And so I think it's a, it's a very delicate balancing act and one that we think that the Fed is prepared for, uh, but it's really around how quickly they go and not sending us over the, the precipice, if you will. With all of that in mind, what is your best investment strategy right now as investors are trying to get a handle on risk and on inflation, potentially with some hedges in their portfolio? We think that investors still need to be overweight equities. We think that despite some of the concerns regarding inflation, regarding monetary policy, that you're still getting paid to be in risk assets. And compare that to bonds where we see rising interest rates, we see a bond index, it's down over 4% year to date. It's a challenging time to be a bond investor. And just layer onto that, the flattening of the yield curve that we've seen, and it makes it really challenging to generate the types of returns that are needed for most investors. Now, uh, as a friend's grandmother used to say, we're not gonna have a pity party about this, but we think that really you need to focus on adding to equities, despite some of the weakness here, 
and wanting to really capture the growth and the returns in that over the coming year, despite some of the noise that's out there um, in the marketplace and around policy. Alan McKnight of Regions Wealth Management, thank you very much for joining us here today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, still on deck, how inflation is helping shares of Airbnb take off. Plus, why shares of casino operator Wynn are going the other way. Your big money movers, coming up next. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Time now for your big money movers. Four stock stories of the morning. First up, Airbnb, the company reporting better than expected fourth quarter results. Bookings grew despite the uncertainty caused by the Omicron variant. Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky telling our Deirdre Bosa the company is seeing evidence of strong pent-up demand with people already booking longer stays for the months ahead. Shares are higher by 3.5%. Stock two, Win Resorts. The casino operator's fourth quarter earnings missed forecasts, but revenues beat. Wynn is also selling the real estate assets of the Encore Boston Harbor Casino for $1.7 billion, although it will still run the property. Those shares down by more than a percent. Stock three, Roblox. Shares are dropping as it reported a wider fourth quarter loss and bookings came in just shy of forecast. Analysts say daily users and engagement in the U.S. and Canada, the company's core markets declined, which they say shouldn't happen in a holiday quarter. Finally, Upstart, the fintech company's fourth quarter results and guidance beating forecasts with much of the revenue driven by fees. Upstart also announcing a $400 million stock buyback shares higher by 26%. Well, straight ahead, a closer look at pricing power in retail and which companies are best prepared to weather the storm. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We'll be right back. The Tuesday turnaround, fighting to continue after markets snap their three-day losing streak. Futures are facing pressure this Wednesday morning. Part of that rebound being fueled by Russian claims of easing tensions around Ukraine as President Biden issues a new warning to Moscow on the matter. Why that apparent de-escalation may not equal an all-clear for riskier assets. And the retailer's best position to combat continued inflation. We lay out the names to watch with the best pricing power. It's Wednesday, February 16th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. 
Welcome back. I am Courtney Reagan in this morning for Brian Sullivan. Here's how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. We have ticked a little bit lower in the last 30 minutes or so. The Dow Jones Industrial Average indicated lower by about 76 points. S&P 500 off 11 and the Nasdaq down by about 28. Let's give you a quick check on the Treasury market. The 30-year yield trading at its highest level since May of 2021, sitting at 2.348%, so almost 235. And the yield on the 10-year holding above 2% at 2.04%. And then the two- and the five-year spread, watching that one closely as always, the two-year at 1.56% with the yield on the five-year at 1.932%. Let's get a quick look at the energy market, which has been very volatile with the geopolitical tensions we're dealing with. WTI crude is higher this morning by eight-tenths of a percent, but sitting below $93 a barrel at 92 spot 82. And Ice Brent crude is higher by nine-tenths of a percent as well, just above $94 a barrel. Now to more of your morning's top stories, Silvana now is back with those. Hi, Savannah. Hey, Courtney. Well, Colorado's bank regulator is disputing the Kansas City Fed's recent statement on the fintech company that is creating hurdles for Biden Fed nominee Sarah Bloom Raskin and her confirmation. The agency telling CNBC the central bank's description of how it came to classify Reserve Trust as a bank in 2017 and its role in Reserve eventually acquiring a master account with the Fed, a misrepresentation. Senate Republicans are trying to use Raskin's apparent efforts to use her past government connections to have convinced the Kansas City Fed into giving Reserve its eventual master account to block her nomination. Viacom CBS is renaming itself. The company revealing it will now go by Paramount Global, effective today. The company's stock falling in extended trading after reporting fourth quarter results that fell short of analysts' expectations. But it added a record 9.4 million streaming subscribers. CEO Bob Backish will have more on all this in a first on CNBC interview coming up on Squawk Box at 8.15 Eastern. And Disney announcing starting this week, it will drop mask requirements for vaccinated visitors at its U.S. theme parks. That change takes effect tomorrow. The park says face masks still will be needed for visitors ages two and older on enclosed transportation, such as the resort's monorail, buses and the resort's sky gondola, Courtney. Some good news there. Good news. And it's amazing how resilient the Disney theme parks have been through all of this. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Sylvana. You got it. Well, President Biden is warning a Russian invasion of Ukraine is, quote, distinctly possible, even as Moscow claims it's withdrawing some troops from the border. The president saying he still wants to give diplomacy a chance, but he also tells the American public an escalating conflict could have an impact at home with rising energy prices. So where does that leave investors who are being pushed and pulled by the daily headlines out of Eastern Europe and a hawkish Fed that's bent on tackling inflation? Well, Jonas Golderman is a senior markets economist at Capital Economics. He is here to help us tackle that question. So, Jonas, obviously there is an awful lot at play here. What do you think is going to be today's dominating headline, at least where we sit today? Is it going to be what the Fed will do or what will happen with Russia, Ukraine? Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, well, that's a pretty tricky question to start off with. Uh, Obviously, you've got the headlines overnight seem to be a bit more positive on on Russia, Ukraine, and and that's certainly been reflected in market pricing, uh, which is, you know, some of that risk premium uh, has come off a little bit uh, over the past couple of days. Uh, So I do think, you know, with that, maybe, I mean, I wouldn't say in the back mirror, but 
the temperature maybe coming down a little bit, uh, focus will turn to the, the FOMC minutes coming out this afternoon. What do you expect to hear from those FONC minutes as the market is trying to debate exactly how many rate hikes we will have, maybe somewhere between four and seven, and whether the Fed will actually come out of the gate with a 50 basis point rate hike? What do you expect the minutes will give us? Any detail, any glimmer into what we might be hearing? Well, that's a tricky one. I mean, the minutes in a way are already out of date, right? That was mm. three weeks ago. We've had quite a few, um, you know, quite a lot of information since then particular from from uh, FOMC members, you had Bullard last week uh, with quite a radical proposal, 100 basis points in the next few months. Um, I don't think the minutes will be that specific, uh, but any any you know anything about um, whether they talked about a 50 basis point hike for or against, you know, most most members still seem to be against that. So I'd, I'd be surprised if there was a clear signal on that front. Um, but also on QT uh, and when that's going to start and how aggressive that's going to be. I think that's where uh, the Fed is still, um, they seem, still seem to be working that one out. Um, and there's a lot less clarity on that point. Inflation just seems to keep running hotter and hotter, whether you're looking at the CPI numbers or the PPI numbers that just came out today. We're going to get retail sales. How should investors be thinking about some of these economic data points and inflation and how that plays into things like retail sales or growing revenues. Is that really going to be a sign of health or is it just about inflation? Is unit growth actually increasing? You mean real, yeah, in, in the sense of real growth, it's, exactly. it's obviously a lot, lost, a lot less positive than, than the headline nominal figures you're getting now with inflation this high. I mean, that said, inflation, you know, we've been saying this for a while now, uh, it, it will eventually start to come off. Um, you know, 7% is, is, is probably not going to last. Um, but the question is, the real question is, where does it settle in the second half of this year? Are we getting back to two and a bit, which, which I think the Fed is hoping for, uh, I think we're all hoping for, or is it settling somewhere more like three or 4% that would, you know, force the Fed to, to go potentially even more aggressive than, than what's already discounted? Yeah, I know the uh, the Fed obviously has their their dual mandate. I know two percent is usually the line at which they're targeting, but like you said, seven percent is pretty well above that. So we'll see how things settle as investors try to make their bets in the meantime. Jonas Golderman, thank you very much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. Well, turning to concerns back home and the consumer ahead of today's January retail sales report that's expected to show a rebound in activity after December's pullback. Despite the likely uptick, surging inflation, as we noted, continues to cast a pretty dark shadow on the sector and the outlook for spending. But some retailers are ready to weather the storm, perhaps better than others when it comes to pricing power and keeping healthy margins. So joining me now is Telsey Advisor Group CEO Dana Telsey and Alex Partners Managing Director for Retail, Brian Eshelman. Dana, we will start with you. Obviously, we've heard a little from some retailers that report a bit off calendar from the bulk of those that were expected to hear from. What do you think investors need to be mindful of when we're looking at these results and how inflation is is playing a part in them? How do we measure the real health of these companies' growing revenues? So overall, I think when these numbers come out, the fourth quarter is in the rear view. It's what's happening going forward. As you mentioned, Courtney, inflation is a headwind. Companies are having pricing power, certainly for some of the discretionary names, luxury goods, RH, Lululemon, different fabrications, innovation is giving them the ability to raise prices. But there's always a limit where you can go to. 
I want to hear about inventory levels and supply chain because those some of those supply chain increases like air freight don't come for free. They're very expensive. We want to hear some normalization. Labor costs and wage inflation are a big element too. And certainly right now, the wage growth year over year is certainly compelling, but we're lapping stimulus and the end of child tax credits. The difference between income levels and the difference between categories is what we're going to want to see along with supply chain and steady demand. You know, Brian, as I'm looking at some of your notes here, and we've been talking so much about inflation, you believe it actually had only a moderate effect in January. How is that possible when we saw CPI up 7% year over year? I think the consumer really hasn't um, embedded the extent of price increases in their psyche. And I think there's still more to come in, in many categories. I mean, think about it. Retailers buy their goods, you know, six months ahead of time. And as Dana mentioned, they've been really dealing with supply chain cost increases and trying to weigh those in how they uh, manage their pricing. But supplier price increases are coming. And I think that, um, you know, there's no longer um, as many scenarios where retailers can hold back on um, extent, the extent of the pricing across the board. Um, I agree with Dana on, you know, the, the, the power of innovation, the power of brands will be helpful in, in luxury and higher end sectors. But again, I don't think the consumer has really realized the extent um, of price increases across the board. So, Dana, as we talk about inflationary environments, people often look at some of the discounters, whether it's Walmart, whether it's the off pricers, whether it's the dollar stores as potential beneficiaries. What should we be thinking about this time around? Do you believe that's still the case? We're hearing from Walmart tomorrow with their earnings reports. What do you expect? Exactly. I think, yes, I think the discounters and the value players will be a beneficiary of this. We've seen it in the past. I think we see it in the future. And the other thing you want to watch carefully with these discounters, What's the traffic? What's the conversion? What are they seeing even from online? What price increases and what categories are they going to be passing through? That's certainly going to be something to, to watch going forward with Walmart and also a lot of the other low-end players. Brian, what do you make of uh, when it comes to the category winners or losers as we start to hear from more of these retailers and the details of their earnings report? If you're an investor and you're trying to read between the lines, what should you be looking for to separate the winners from the losers? I think in general, I think that some of the categories that will be winners will be more in the apparel footwear sector. I think, you know, as things get back to normal and people are going back to work, back to social occasions, um, that demand will help uh, counterbalance the uh, price increases that are surely to come through. Uh, I think, um, you know, bulk buying and discount buying like uh, warehouse clubs and that sort of thing are, are going to be strong. Uh, retailers that enjoy a lot of traffic because they uh, sell groceries or consumables but have pro- strong private brand programs to combat price increases, I think we'll, we'll, be, uh, we'll be seeing some good results. Um, I'm concerned about home goods retailers. Um, I think consumers are probably done nesting and looking to shift their spending elsewhere. Um, So we'll see how that goes. And probably larger ticket items where inflation, um, you know, double digit inflation um, or high single digit inflation translates to pretty significant dollar value increases. I think that will start to give consumers pause. Dan, I know you rattled off a couple of your names, but before we go here, I want to give you a chance to give us some of your winners and losers name by name. I think when I think about what's going to work in this period of inflation, I think luxury goods like LVMH, look at cosmetics like Estee Lauder where they have pricing power. 
the handbag and luxury accessories companies like Tapestry and Capri, the innovation they're putting in is driving demand. And like Brian said, as people go out, they're going to want to get get dressed again with social occasions. And we're beginning to see it. I think the upper tier certainly can weather it. I think the lower tier is where, where are people going to shift to? And that is the off prices and the discounters. Interesting stuff. My feet have to get used to wearing high heels again. Thank you very much, Dana Telsey and Brian Eshelman, for joining us here today. Thank you. Well, coming up, a worldwide exclusive as the CEO of OnSemi lays out why the global chip crunch is showing no signs of easing anytime soon. Plus, more of your morning's big money movers, including shares of one furniture manufacturer facing more discomfort over continued supply chain snags. Worldwide Exchange is back in just a moment. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. Shares of Lazy Boy dropping after mixed third quarter results. The furniture maker says it was hit by multiple supply chain snags amid high demand. Lazy Boy also saying it faced shortages of parts for its furniture, hiring challenges, and, quote, record levels of COVID-related employee absences in January. Shares down by about 12.5%. Denny's also sinking on its disappointing quarterly results. The restaurant chain missing analyst estimates for both earnings and revenue. CEO John Miller citing an Omicron-related dip in the restaurant attendance on the company's earnings call, but also saying the strength of the consumer is leading to more positive outlook long-term. Shares of Denny's, though, down more than 5%. And Akamai also down right now despite reporting strong quarterly earnings and revenue. The company announcing it is getting into the cloud computing space with a $900 million acquisition of Philadelphia-based cloud hosting company Linode. Shares of Akamai down 5.4%. CEO Tom Layton saying the deal will make both Akamai and Linode competitive with cloud giants like Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. You can catch him in a first on CNBC interview at 6.50 a.m. Eastern time. Well, speaking of big tech, we continue to watch one of the biggest drags on the industry, the global chip shortage. While some have said they expect it to start easing this year, the CEO of On Semiconductor, maker of chips that go into everything from cars to medical devices, says it's not so sure. Telling our Brian Sullivan it could take more than a year before supply meets demand. Look, if you if you look at where we are today, we are in a supply constrained environment. If you look at what it takes to fix it, it takes time. And the time is to build that capacity, put the capacity online, start manufacturing and start shipping. So if I look at where we are today with the capacity we have, the capacity we are adding through the end of 22 and where the demand is, we're still not going to catch up to that demand. So until supply and demand balance we're not going to be out of where we are today, which is full allocation. Well, I guess, how, how did we get so out of balance? I mean, obviously, yes, COVID, shutdowns, I get that. But is that all it is? Or is there something else at work to where we got to this point? Look, I can specifically talk about some of the uh, markets that we're in. So think about auto and industrial, right? Think about what's going on with the car. The car of two years ago is very different than the car of today. Yeah, it's a computer with it's wheels com- on it. Exactly, yeah. it's, a computer, it's a computer platform that happens to have wheels and go from point A, point a to B. How does it go A to B? Well, the driver has something to do with it, but there's also a lot of compute, there's all a lot of imaging, which we do. A lot of power, now with the electrification, which is also something we do. That's demand that didn't exist two years ago. So not just the capacity level that was two, three years ago, it's a different mix of technologies that the cars require today. The same with industrial. Now that acceleration, 
we've always heard about you know in industry 4.0 factory automation well that got a very big acceleration with the industrial market you know you need automation you have the uh, uh, social distancing in factories that's playing a big role you have the uh, uh, hand uh, labor shortages yep well how do you bridge all of that while maintaining output that's all automation but, but it's so it does sound like though that it's not just covid that this this incredibly rapid change in the automotive manufacturing process and needs gm etc you watch the super bowl the electric silverado the f150 but this is all happening so quickly that your industry is having to evolve even faster that's right so think about it this way we've always known electrification and electric vehicles are going to be the future of, of mobility. That's fine. But the rate at which it happened, but more importantly, after two years of really a drought, you know, 2019, what we call inventory cor correction in the semiconductor. Mm -hmm. 2020 was COVID. So there was no CapEx investment happening. Actually, CapEx was taken offline in order to sustain operations because, you know, CapEx that's idle is a drag on financials. Ironically, uh, just like oil, when yeah, you're talking we, about electrification, <laughs> it's a, the same thing. We, we know that because it was a drag on our financial in those years as well. Yeah. So fast forward, demand came back, different mix, and we don't have time to recover. Now we're investing. I mean, you heard me talk about doubling our CapEx intensity. It's not for the lack of intent or investment, but it does take time. And you also talk about the shift. You are putting your fingerprint on this company, which is more and more to auto. That's right. Right. I mean, how big of an opportunity is that? And to my first question, why do you think on doesn't get the love from investors? Stock's done well. I think it's up 40 percent in 12 months, but doesn't get the love of an NVIDIA or an AMD. That's right. So, look, uh, you, you can talk about uh, all the, uh, the sexy products, the stuff that drives the car. But what I remind everybody and we, we are going to get the love. I'm not worried about it because we are a transformation story. You know, we've been doing the transformation for a year. That's very short period of time we've done a lot of progress there's a lot more to come but we are in a transformation and we're not done with it but what we're going to come out is a company that is a leader in power and sensing intelligent power intelligent sensing what drives the car what is the vision of the car in order to allow all of the nvidia's and the amd to see the road is what we do what allows the car to move on the road is what we do so we are essential and we'll get our part Right now, we're building the foundation in order to solidify that part. And our progress, to be honest with you, is, has been great. And it's the momentum that we're building. It's not where we are today. It's have we built the momentum in order to sustain that transformation for cars? Yeah. And my answer is yes, and we're not done yet. You keep the car on the road. <laughs> That's it, a good, yes, yeah. We'll Hassan Al-Khuri. Write it down. Really? <laughs> Our thanks to Brian Sullivan and the CEO of On Semi. Well, on deck, Pivotal Advisors Tiffany McGee lays out the trading to head and the one insurance name that's on her radar. As we had to break, here is Tiffany discussing why representation matters as part of CNBC's celebration of Black History during February. I think one thing that we can all do to change the financial future of the black community is to support black-owned businesses. I think representation does matter. It goes a long way to let people know and our community know that they can do the exact same thing. 
Welcome back and back to the markets, which are struggling to build momentum on the back of Tuesday's massive turnaround. You can see futures are lower, but we've recovered just a bit in the last 20 minutes or so. Your next guest says it might just be the beginning for stocks, which could be looking at sufficient support to move higher. Tiffany McGee is the CEO and CIO of Pivotal Advisors and a CBC contributor. Tiffany, it's great to see you here this morning. What do you think investors should be focused on here today as we still have lots of discussions about what the Fed may may not do? We're getting the Fed minutes. We're getting retail sales. We're watching Russia and Ukraine. Where should our focus be? Well, first of all, I think it's really important to understand that um, that what we're seeing right now is really volatility around Fed uncertainty and not necessarily uh, the rate hikes, right? And so the market does not like uncertainty. Um, the Fed has been clear that they're they're going to take it's, it's they're going to take their cues from market data. And so I think until we get you know, kind of details around uh, the pace and the amount of the rate hikes, um, I, I think we're going to continue to see this volatility. So a couple of things. So like. Uh, answering questions like, will the rate height in March be 25 basis points or 50 basis points? Those are two different numbers. Um, and, you know, will the Fed have an emergency meeting to raise rates? So as we continue to find out those details, I think the market is going to be a little bit more comfortable with knowing no matter what way, uh, what way it goes. So but the, the idea here, though, is to keep in mind is, you know, this uncertainty has an expiration date. So at some point this year, we'll know and it'll become a little bit more settled. Do you expect the market to be reactive to retail sales here today? And how do we tease out which, what's actual retail sales growth and what's the result of inflation? Yeah, I think it is a little bit hard because we are coming off um, such a low. Um, but we are, and, and it, it seems like we're, we're in a super growth mode. But I do expect the market to react at least a little bit to retail sales because, listen, you know, consumer spending is 70 percent of, of our growth, 70 percent of GDP. So I really do believe that the market is looking for any kind of indication to see either, you know, relief or things are going well or, um, you know, things are not. So it, when you look at how the market has been reacting to the smallest bit of news, uh, I do think that we're going to we're going to see a bit of a reaction to retail sales. As investors are looking to position themselves in their portfolios, maybe they are doing some stock shopping, she tried to say. What should investors be looking for right now as we still have supply chain crunches going forward? Are we looking at inventory levels, healthy margins? What's most important here? Yeah, so going forward, I think that the, that the best opportunities are going to be in specific stocks within a sector that can deliver revenue or margin growth. And so, you know, one of the areas that that does typically does really well in rising rate environments are financials. Um, but again, I caution everyone to kind of not paint all sectors with a broad brush. Um, so when you think about this, you know, rising rates um, really with financials. Uh, allows these companies to increase their profit margins. And specifically with insurance companies, when you think about what they do, um, you know, they take their customers' premiums and they invest those premiums in low-risk assets. So rising rates kind of translates into higher higher interest income for them. And, you know, when I think about that, there's actually one stock that I really like in this category, and that's Chubb. Uh, it's not a, it's not a, a company that everybody really talks about, but when you think about really what it is, it's the largest publicly traded property and casualty insurer in the world. Mm -hmm. It has consistent revenue growth globally, high credit ratings across all the agencies, strong operating cash flow. They did about $8.5 billion for most of 2021. Increase, they've increased their dividend consecutively right. for 28 years, and their current dividend is 1.6% higher than the industry average. So they're in pretty good shape. 
All right, Chubb is Tiffany's pick. Tiffany McGee, thank you very much for joining us here today. As we work towards that opening bell, that does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Futures are indicating a lower open, but only marginally so. Squawk Box is going to pick things up from here. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.